God, we ask you to broaden our understanding and our awareness of your holy scriptures, God. Will you posture them and point them in a direction that would come with understanding, that would come with application, that would come with a joy and a peace, a peace that is unspeakable, God. For Father, we desire to know more of you this morning, but that only happens by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding, give us a quickness, God. Give us a reverence in our heart to recognize that these words that are coming forth have been clothed in flesh and you left them for us to take heed to, to look to, to trust in God. And all these things, as you told the disciples, you also say to us that we may stand firm in you, not become offended, not fall away, God. Strengthen us this morning. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk about, you know, what's all this singing about the cross and what's all of this joy about a resurrection? Why do people get so excited? Why do they get excited when they sing about a tomb and three days later and it may be in worship and people start clapping and people start shouting? And the truth is, is because it is because of that cross and the resurrection that we see the picture of salvation and we know that that is our way as well. And when we understand what is behind it all, there is a joy. Now that cross, that symbol, it's probably the most offensive symbol in the world. It's not the symbol like this that says Black Lives Matter. It's not the symbol of the LGBTQ. It's the symbol of the cross. That's the most offensive symbol in the world. People scoff at it, and, and that's enough. And, and some people are okay with talking about Jesus in the name of Jesus, but they come to a point where they stop and say, okay, that's, that's a little too much. That's, a, that's, that's enough. And really, you can never make too much of God. You can never make more of God. Now, can we be overbearing? Yes, we can with our attitude. But the love for God, you, you can never top that. You, we can never pursue after God uh, to the point where that is way too much already. You're crossing the line. But that's kind of the, the feedback that you will get from an ungodly world and the feedback that you will especially get from a religious individual. They're going to say, that's enough of that. That's enough praying. Or that is enough of, of, of whatever it is that you're trying to speak to me. Because the truth is, is they do have a point. Matter of fact, look at a lot of religious people when they're trying to argue something or when they just want to have a deep discussion. Notice the fact that they never pray. I mean, it's wise in every discussion, in every situation, in everything to say, let's pray. Let's go before God because he's the one who leads us. So we get this. And Jesus already told the disciples or the apostles, you're, you're, they're going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to hiss at you. We saw that last week and what it looked like and what looked like for them, the prophets, the apostles, what it's possibly going to look like for us. Again, we probably won't be taken up before rulers like the apostles were, before kings like, like or emperors like uh, Paul, but we will be taken up before or under the microscope of the world and, 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 and uh, persecuted. And simply it's because of our love for God, not for anything else. Now, with the, a raise of hands, has anybody ever in this room been around an individual that plays a lot? And you know in your mind and you say, yeah, they, they play too much. That's enough. Raise of hands. Can I have a raise of hands? And, and they kind of they turn you off because it's like, do they ever take anything seriously? Now, I'm with you. I love joking around. I do. But there's, of course, a time and a place for everything. As a matter of fact, we went Friday night to uh, the comedy show with uh, Michael Jr., a Christian comedian. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. He's pretty funny. Of course, it's clean, fun, laughter. And we were invited. And it was, it was, uh, it was an experience. A lot of laughter. Laughter is good, of course. 
But there is a time to be serious. And I would have to say that the result of the person who plays too much is they're never taken serious. They never take anything serious either. They're always playing. Again, there is a time. I mean, we're not going to be killed, Joys. There is a time for all of that. But there comes a time where we need to be serious. Perfect example, mom and dads with our kids. See, because when we play too much with them, then they start to see us as their friends. And they no longer see us as mom and dad, but they see us as their friends. And it can become problematic because after a while, that respect is not there. They're not going to take us serious when we say, no, you're not going to go out tonight or you're going to be home before midnight. And they don't take you serious. Why? Because they're probably just playing around. They don't mean what they say. Well, I would have to say that um, that affects other people in a wrong way and it affects themselves also in a wrong way. But I would probably get a little more critical and say that that is a normal attitude that is found uh, among many believers and the leaders in the body of Christ today. What am I talking about? Well, King Solomon, again, a very wise man, none of us will ever top him, said that it was better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of rejoicing. And the Apostle James said to let our laughter be turned into mourning. Why would, why would somebody in the Bible say that? If they said it, it's, we know because it's inspired by God. And it's because there is something true that's behind it. And the reason is, is that we tend to take things serious when we are in that serious mode. And I would say again, there's a lot of individuals, there is a lot of leaders that are not in that mode. They don't take the Word of God serious. They don't take the preaching of the Word of God serious. They don't take the whole warnings of God seriously. They don't take the thing called discipleship serious. They take nothing serious. It's just kind of a, um, just, let's just, you know, um, I mean, we have Jesus here in the book. We'll go read it and then we continue. But there's not really anything serious that uh, causes people to think about these things. Man, this is really serious. This is deep. I really want to sit down and think about this. First of all, where am I going when I take my last breath? Am I sure? Am I secure in my salvation? Yes, I am. Okay, but what about uh, those that I love deeply? Where are they going? Now, if we are not sure, then we should be concerned with trying to make sure. Now, we can't save anyone, but let me talk to them about it, and, and let's get to that. But because of it, there is not, uh, they're not taking anything serious. Now, I know that that's kind of a big charge for a little small pulpit like this to bring uh, before the presence of many other big, huge pulpits, okay? But I know one thing, as I know the conviction that God has put on my heart. I know the desire that God has put on my heart, and I can't ever stray away from Him, no matter how much I try. And God says, no, I, I, I need this message gone forward, because uh, the primary call of the ecclesia, the church, the primary call, it is to build and equip. The disciples, let me show you something, let me hand you something that's, that's tangible, that I can clearly relate and understand so that I can apply it in my life. A lot of times it's going to come through rebukes, a lot of times it's going to come through encouragement and through uplifting, but nevertheless, that's the primary call for it. Think about this. What do we do when we listen to a message? We call it our spiritual food, right? A lot of people will say, I'm not getting fed. Okay, because that's what happens when you go and listen to a message is you're getting fed and that food is supposed to be what the Bible would call meat. And what do you do with meat? You chew on it. And when you chew on it, you swallow and then it gives you nutrients. But there's many that say, well, it's just the milk of the word. It's still for infants. It's still small. And there comes a point where, yeah, there's people who are at that point, but then you progress. Like, I don't think I would desire to give any of my already way of age kids a bottle. You know, it, it just wouldn't seem right. I mean, think of one of my children walking in carrying a bottle. You guys would probably look at me and say, what, what is he doing? You know, 
But in the spiritual realm, that is what's happening. And it's not really anything to rejoice about, but we should grieve about it. Think of any restaurant when we go eat, and a lot of us are probably thinking, where am I going to go eat after church? It's a common thing. It's okay. Fine. Yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about it as well. But we want to go somewhere good where what? The food is good. That's the primary thing, right? Is anybody in here go to a restaurant and say, I go, the food's not that good, but I really like it because they play some 80s music. The, the music is just, it's really good and I enjoy it. No. Or does anyone say, uh, okay, let's just go to McDonald's because uh, my kids really like it there. Knowing that the food's not good for you really. So are we going to go to McDonald's? Or I'm going to go to this restaurant that I've gone before. The service is really bad. Again, the food's not really good. But our friends are all going to be there, so let's meet up with them. It wouldn't make sense to any of us when we think it in that aspect. Well, the same thing comes when it has to do with a, 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 a ministry that you sit under, that you listen to. You want to get something that you can chew on, something that is going to challenge you, okay? Something that's not always going to be easy. Meat's not always the easiest to chew. Sometimes you have to chew, and you have to chew, and you have to chew. And if you don't chew, and you just swallow, unfortunately, sometimes that's going to cause you constipation. Right? Now, sometimes when people don't chew the Word of God, because let, let's not just think that the pulpit's not always good, because sometimes a message can be really good, but the person that's receiving it's not chewing on it. They're just swallowing it after a couple of chews. So they would get, in a sense, spiritually constipated. And it creates a lot of distress in their life. It, they're uncomfortable. Why? Because their bowels, and I don't mean the uh, intestinal bowels. I'm talking about the bowel, the heart. That's what the Bible talks about. It's just in a place of discomfort. There, there's nothing good here. So there's a responsibility on both ends. And that's what you would call a, a crisis of conviction. It's a crisis of conviction. is because they don't take it serious. They don't take the Word of God serious. They don't take uh, the things of God serious. They don't take discipleship. They don't take warning. They don't take discipleship. Nothing is serious because let's just, uh, well, let's just not take it serious. And you see me as your friend and uh, I'm your friend. You're my friend. As a matter of fact, Jesus is our friend, right? Many will say he's my homeboy. And I've said before, no, he's not your homeboy. He's a savior of the world who died on the cross. Now, is he a friend as far as sticking close to us like a friend? Absolutely so. But to recognize him as a friend is more blasphemous than re recognizing our mother or father as a friend. No, that's mom. That's dad. And I'm going to respect them. Now, when we grew up, we disrespect our parents. You're going to walk away with a busted lip. Or, or something else, a knot on your forehead, you're not going to disrespect me. Now, I know they might consider that child abuse, but the thing is, is that there was a reverence for your parents. I'm not going to disrespect them. I'm not going to cuss in front of them. I'm not going to uh, lift my voice up to them. And it's the same way with God. I'm not going to try to manipulate God. I'm not going to try to do anything of the other. But that's the crisis that's happening right now in, in modern Christianity. Okay, this Easy. It, it's just easy. It's fun. Everything's going to be well. Uh, don't worry about nothing. God's going to take care of it. So now there's no more responsibility uh, from the end of the believer. And what it's done is it's caused a crisis. And a crisis, we all know that it's a time of difficulty. It's a time of trouble. And as a matter of fact, it's a time of danger, a crisis. There's crises that happen all the time. The pandemic was a crisis. It's a lot of trouble. You look, turn on the news and look at India and see these women that are weeping because they've lost their loved ones. They are in a crisis. Do you think that right now they want anything to do with joking around or taking things lightly? No. I want to know the truth. I want to know what I need to do so that I can take measures. As a matter of fact, we all did that when the pandemic first hit here. I will be honest enough to tell you that when this first started, I was very precautious. I did wear a mask. I was concerned where I went. I did wash up. I did do all of those things until I started to see that there's a little deeper agenda behind it. And you're not going to fool me anymore. But to err on the side of precaution, absolutely, we all should. 
And then once you see that there's something different there, okay, I kind of understand. But the truth of the whole matter is, is that people, many people have died and a lot of them are still dying. So to just totally disregard it would basically be saying that we are neglecting to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ. We're neglecting to be compassionate with other people in that instance. Or oh, we want to remain compassionate. Especially those of us who have been through it can say, no, I know what it feels like. As a matter of fact, I didn't think God passed away or have a loved one who passed away, but it, I felt that it, it's not comfortable. Now, whatever our convictions are, that's one thing, but to also try to push our convictions on other people is no different than them trying to push it on us. Hey, you need to wear a mask. Well, I really don't feel that I need to. Don't push it on me. Well, don't push it on them either that they don't have to wear a mask. If they want to wear a mask, let them wear a mask. It's respect, but there is a, there's a crisis, and so there's an imbalance in the body of Christ. No, no one's really taking things serious because, oh, it's just, you know, Jesus is just cool, and it's just, it, it's all going to be good. So that causes a crisis, and this crisis is a crisis of conviction. Now, when we talk about conviction, according to the law, we know that it's the process of a person being put guilty of a crime. You're guilty. You've been convicted. We have convicted felons. Why? They were found guilty of whatever charge, and they've been sent to the penitentiary, and because of it, now they are ex-convicts. It's on them. It's, it's a mark that is there. But according to our morals, okay, this is a state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. Conviction. Yeah, I know that I'm wrong. And I know what the truth is. And then because you know that, you do something about it. So it means to, to tell, to convince, to admonish. It can even mean to overwhelm. Conviction, to overwhelm. A lot of convicts that get sentenced to 20 years, 40 years to life, they get overwhelmed when they hear that conviction. I can't do 40 years. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget when I was a teenager, they sentenced my dad to the penitentiary. Two years, right? Compared to other ones. He said, Your Honor, I can't do two years. The judge told him, Son, do the best you can. Because the truth of the matter is, you're convicted. And, and you have to do this. So Jesus said, when he has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper, what's he going to do? He's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he's going to convict the Holy Spirit. That's what he's going to do. He's going to convict. He's going to convince. He's going to admonish. He's going to tell. And he's going to overwhelm many. And he says in verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But instead, because I told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. He goes his way through submission to the Father, to the rugged, lonely, vicious way of the cross. He already knows what's set before him, what's going to happen. He goes that way. He says, I'm going my way, but none of you is asking me, where am I going? How? You'd figure they'd say, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I want to know where you're going. And you can't help but notice uh, a lack of concern for the Lord Jesus Christ and more of a concern for themselves. Okay, now I'm not going to make the big issue about it and say they're wrong because I think we can all relate to them. We would, we would be filled with sorrow. We go through things, we're filled with sorrow. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned with what we go through. But when you look at that, Jesus said, none of you asked. What it means is that none of you, none of you begs, none of you prays, none of you seeks after. You're just, just letting it be. The same way that sometimes when we go through things, we don't seek God, we don't pray, we don't follow, we don't just strive towards Him, but we just kind of say, where are you, God? Rather than to strive and to seek a little bit deeper. 
There's no inquiry. There's no praying. There's no crying, no beseeching. How can this be changed, God, even though he told him? Now, we know that it couldn't be changed, but there's no deep seeking after uh, the Lord or where he's going during this time. Now, if you're filled with sorrow, he said, you're filled with great sorrow. That means a lot. It was, they were heavy. They had grief. They had sadness. As I mean, any of us would feel the same. Again, that's why I'm saying it. I'm not just saying again, but, but we notice those things. And it's important. Why? Because sometimes when we go through situations, we can mistakenly sometimes want to make it about ourselves rather than make it about Him. But see, that's where we want to see this. And we, and we inquire of God and we pray. And it's okay to say, yes, God, this doesn't feel good in my life. This uh, doesn't, I, I don't like the outcome. I don't like where I'm going to. But God, can you help me? Where are you, God? Please come to my rescue. And of course, God will do it. But when it came to heaviness and grief and sadness, uh, the Lord told him, your heart is Filled with sorrow, your mind, your emotions, they're filled with sorrow. As a matter of fact, if you want to put it in the aspect of a cup running over, their cup was running over with sorrow, with sadness. It was full. They were complete. We've all experienced that when we've lost a loved one, when we've gone through situations. Now, the thing is, is why do we take these things serious? Why do we want to take the gospel serious? Why do we want to get deeper in all of this? Why? Because the promise is, is that one day or another for every individual in here, myself included, at one point or another, all hell is going to break loose. And when that hell breaks loose, we want to make sure that we remember the things that God has told us. The same way he told the disciples. I'm telling you this. Why? So that you'll remember, so that you don't become offended, so that you don't fall away, so that you don't become withered up and draw back, but so that you can run to the battle rather than run from it. So that you can run into the fire knowing that I'm already in the fire waiting for you. You don't have to wait for me to, to show up because I'm already there. I'm waiting for you and I will deliver you. Oh, but he died. He passed away. She passed away. They didn't make it through the fire. Oh, they passed through the fire, but they're in eternal glory with him now. And that's the whole uh, uh, truth right there, okay? So he, he, he goes his way, none of you ask. But all of this occurred due to the things that the Lord had said to them. Remember, he taught them, he preached to them, he brought it before them, he declared them to them. And this brings light to the importance for us today to what we would call the whole counsel of God. The fullness of the Bible, the good, the bad, the in-between, where I'm not sure and it's kind of iffy, all of it. Genesis to Revelation, this comes to the importance of it. Not just the good scriptures that we would like to get and let me put it in my spiritual grocery basket and I'll go check out. No, grab all of it. I need some greens. I need some vegetables. I need something that's good for my soul so that it can condition me so that I can stand strong in God. The whole counsel of God. Okay, let me ask you this. How will a person remember, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to cause you to remember these things. He told them the things I've told you. They were told to them. We know it because we read it. But how's a person going to remember that which they don't know? How? A person can walk in here through these doors and say, oh, I didn't know that there was a back entrance that we usually use. Well, they didn't know. How do you expect them to know that? But the individual who knows it, and they don't do it. They just choose not to do it. But we have to have this knowledge. That's why it's important to become familiar with the Word of God. Not say, Yes, it's good to memorize Scripture, but I'm talking about just know what it says. No, you don't have to quote it verbatim per Scripture. You don't have to be able to quote word by word because what happens if you memorize it in the New King James and the individual you talk to knows it in the NIV? To them, it's going to come across as wrong. But the whole important thing is that we relay the perfect message of what it means. This is what it means. It's, the important, it's important to know it. Why? Because when things come our way, then we, that's our artillery. That's our meat that we chew on and we grab a hold of. Now, sorrow. Sorrow has the ability to suck the soul dry. Right? 
But yet the Holy Spirit of God possesses the power to fill a soul to the point of being immovable. We read about those people last week. The apostles, the prophets who died, they were sawn in two. They were stoned and clubbed to death. They were burned on a stake. We even made mention of the early Christians who died. They were burned because they were trying to do what was right in the sight of God. And they never... What caused them to not fold and say, Okay, I, 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 I give up. I'll, I'll bow to your God. The power of God that resides inside of them, the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not going to. Hey, Daniel, you and your friends, bow down to this image or we're going to throw you in the fire. No, I can't do it. Can't do it. Go ahead and throw me in the fire. God will deliver me, but even if he doesn't, it's okay. That is a firm trust. That is why it is important to have all of this uh, fullness of Scripture. Now, Luke chapter 22, verse 45. Remember, sorrow has the ability to suck the soul dry. Have you experienced it? I would probably say you probably have at one time. Me, that was my life story. Sorrow sucked my life dry. I was uh, an equivalent to a prune according to this life because my soul was sucked dry. Luke chapter 22, another uh, rendition, another version of what's going on here. And they go in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, stay with me. Watch and pray. I'm going to go talk to the Father. You stay. You watch. You pray. Be watchful. And be praying. Remember, he said, none of you ask. Pray. None of you is praying. None of you is seeking. And Luke chapter 22, verse 45 says, when he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. Because that's what sorrow does. It sucks you dry. It's a form of depression that says, I just want to lay down. I don't want nobody to bother me. It's almost like you just want to shrivel up and die and leave me alone. It's almost the same mentality of Jonah when he said, just let me die already. Because the tree shriveled up and he was all worried about himself. And it can lead to something kind of in the sense of a self-pity when we uh, step away from Christ. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit of God possesses the power to fill a soul to the point of being immovable. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow, the sorrow that comes from God, what is the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is the person that goes through hell but doesn't seek God, doesn't ask God. Jesus said, I, I tell you I'm going away, but none of you is inquiring, none of you is asking. That's what godly, that's what worldly sorrow looks like. Oh man, I'm hurting really bad. My heart is broken. They, they hurt me really bad. I can't understand, be it by, you know, Someone close to me, it doesn't matter, it hurts me, but there's no inquiring of God, there's no seeking after God, and so therefore it's a brokenness that gives nothing in return. But there is a godly sorrow, the same situation, the same individual, but instead over here, and they fall on their face and they cry out to God and say, God, I'm very angry, I feel a lot of hatred, God, you already know that I feel it against a certain individual because they hurt me, but God, I'm submitting myself to you, Lord. Help me through this situation, God, and that produces repentance. You start to change the way you think and feel about this situation, which leads to salvation. It's a fruit of salvation. And scripture says it's not to be regretted. It's not to be regretted at all. Because I think that all of us have also gone through sorrow that we regret. Why did I go through that? Why did I put myself through that? I can think of a lot of moments right now that I put myself through. Why did I do that? And I'm sure that you can as well. Because we didn't seek after God. We didn't run after. As a matter of fact, we run to this person and we run to that person and we'll run under a rock and we'll look is, is the answer here and we find comfort in material things rather than finding our comfort in God. I would have to say that's the person that doesn't necessarily take God serious. Because the person who takes God serious stands on his word, stands on his promises and says, I know what God has said. Now I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to believe. Why? 
Because he rose from the grave. And he's not here anymore. If he did that, he can surely come to my aid, but have the mentality of Daniel. But even if he doesn't come to my aid, that's okay. Because I know that I can trust him in whatever he's doing. Now, when we decide to follow God, when we first come to God, the first thing that happens is all kinds of hell and turmoil comes upon your soul. And that's what one would call spiritual warfare. Yeah, a battle in the demonic realm, a battle for your soul. And all the demons break loose and say, no, 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 we're, we're taking him back. And they pull against the outer man, but the spiritual man says, no, but I see the cross and I see it dimly and I see the beauty of it and I want to go that way. And there is a war that is happening. There's a tug of war. There is a pull. And for some people, they, that might last a few days, a few weeks. I experienced it for seven months. Tossed around like a rag doll to the point that I lost weight because I wouldn't even eat. I couldn't sleep right that people thought I was on drugs. No, I'm not on drugs no more. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. Is that what it looks like? You know, that's not appealing to me. As a matter of, uh, uh, matter of fact, I remember walking like a crazy back and forth and back and forth that my little brother grabs me and shakes me from the shoulders and says, what's the matter with you, man? Get a hold of yourself. You're walking around like you're crazy. What's going on? And really, it was to the point of driving me crazy, but I continued to trust in God. And I would look up and say, God, you have my best interest in mind. I'm going to trust you. No matter how I feel, I know that I don't feel good inside, but God, I'm going to trust you. I don't know how you're going to deliver me, God, but I'm trusting this word. Now, that was at a point when I was drinking milk, but see, the meat gives you more nutrients, and that's what we want to have. Now, come seven months later, all the people who thought differently, come and see me now. Because God began to regenerate a soul. He began to give me beauty for ashes. See, the beauty doesn't always come. Two days later, it doesn't always come two hours later, but the beauty comes to one point and Jesus is going to say next week, your sorrow is going to turn to joy. That's that godly brokenness. That's the brokenness that you learned to love so much. Break me again, God. If that's what you have to do to draw me closer, to give me a greater understanding, to make me aware again, break me, God. Break me, God. Break this selfishness off of me. Break this pride off of me. Break whatever has to be broken, God, so that I can be put back together by you the way you want me to be, not the way that I want to be. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. It's not ever to be regretted. What happened in this instance? There was a man in the Corinthian church sleeping with his father's wife because the father passed away. Paul said that that. No, that's not even happening among the Gentiles, the people that they consider dogs. That's not even happening, and you're not doing nothing about it, so because of it, you're boasting. I'm judging you already. He said, look, get that man right there. Deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that in the day of the Lord his soul may be saved. Take them out of the fellowship. Take them out from underneath the covering of God because there is a covering on a godly ministry that people are blessed when they're underneath it. If that ministry is godly, if it's anointed and called by God, there is, and a person can still have yet to be in Christ, but they will experience the blessings of Christ because they're underneath that covering. Paul is saying, get him out of there. Hand him over, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, let the devil have his way with them. Let him toss him around like a rag doll. What's that going to cause? Hopefully some godly sorrow that will bring him to repentance. As a matter of fact, you read 2 Corinthians uh, later on in the chapter, well, this same chapter here, that was previous, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians here. And so Paul now, this man, guess what he did? He repented. Hey guys, I'm sorry. I repented. I got right with God. I want to come back. And guess what they're doing now? No, uh-uh, Paul told us to get rid of you. So Paul writes to him and says, hey, let him back in the church. That's the whole point of it. Uh, lest he be consumed with too much sorrow. We're not trying to destroy this poor guy. We're trying to get him to come to repentance. Let him back in the church. And that's what we're called to do because uh, it doesn't matter how many times a person falls. When they knock at the door, we are to receive them in hopes that they come fully to Christ. 
regardless of what they've done. Now, I know us in our carnal nature, no, 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 they're playing too much. They, they've done it, they've done it. Guess what? Hey, thank God he didn't think like that about us. But he said, I'll receive them. And that's what we want to do with other people. That hope needs to remain, to remain alive. That if God can save us, he can save them as well. What God did for us, he can do for them. Yes, some of, us, some of us were really lost. Some of us really weren't that bad off. And praise God, it doesn't matter. It's all a miracle. But some of us were beyond hopeless. People would say, no. As a matter of fact, I was told by one of my immediate family members, you're not going to amount to nothing. You're going to be just like your dad. Your dad hurt me. It doesn't hurt me anymore because I did turn out to be like my dad, my father in heaven. And it's the same thing for all of us, right? And we know that we stand firm in the truth of God. So the advantage of every believer is the restraint and the guide of the Holy Spirit. He restrains us. He keeps us, yeah, from saying the things that we shouldn't be saying, like you make me, and then you want to just beep, beep, beep. Now. He restrains us. He keeps us from engaging in things that we shouldn't engage. He, he guides us. As a matter of fact, he says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you. This is where we get the word for a hedge. So in a sense, the Holy Spirit's like a hedge around us. Remember when uh, Job, Satan was walking to and fro and God said, what, what, what are you, what's, I mean, today's terms, what's up, bro? What you doing around here? Have you considered my servant Job? And the devil said, oh, yeah, you, yeah, you got, you got a little hedge around him, but that's why he's protected. Okay, have Adam. That's the kind of hedge that we have around us. And that doesn't mean that it's going to protect us always from getting hit by a car. It doesn't mean always that we're going to be protected uh, from falling off of a bike. Now, uh, can God do that? Yes. And I believe that there's many times in all of our lives that God has saved us from death. We just don't know about it. But if we really think about it, how many times has God saved us? How many times was I walking down a dark alley trying to get to my car after work? I never found out about it, but God knows there was a gentleman at the corner waiting for me. But by the grace of God, uh, the angelic host didn't allow that to happen. Now, if you don't believe that, then uh, you might want to look in deeper to the things of God. I'm not saying that we need to look for demons underneath every chair and every table. And as a pastor said one time, I mean, some people try to look for demons and they try to cast them out of their scrambled eggs. And that's the chuckle that I got as well, because there is people like that. There is a demon in every single thing. No, not necessarily. There's demons everywhere. Yes, but there's angels as well. And we have this greatest of the Holy Spirit that guides us. And he's, that's the advantage of every single believer. So we really don't have an excuse other than pretty much what the Bible would call rebellion or just quenching the Spirit, just going against the Spirit. But this Holy Spirit, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm going to leave, but it, this is for your benefit, not for mine, not for anybody else. Why? Because when he comes, he's going to, what? Convict the world. He's going to convince the world. Some people he's going to rebuke. He's going to declare it. He's going to admi admonish, what? One, of sin, because they do not believe in him. Two, of righteousness, because he goes to the Father and they see him no more. Three, he's going to convict of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Convincing the world of sin. Convicting them, convincing them. It's interchangeable. Conviction. Going to convince the world of sin. Why? Because they do not believe in Jesus. Now, it's important to understand that it's not simply talking about the act of sin, an action. We fornicated one time. We got drunk one time. We lied one time. No, it's talking about the state of sin. That the Bible says that every believer, every individual, every single one of us, from the time of Adam, they inherited this thing called disease and, uh, or sin, and it spread like a disease. We think that this coronavirus was bad. No, sin spread 
It automatically was inherited. The state of sin, not the action of sin. It's important to understand that because when we come to Christ, we still sin. Yes, we do. Now, it's not our normal default, but we do slip up. We do fall. Okay? But we're talking about the state of sin. And because of that state of sin, think of someone being born with cancer. You're just born with it. Okay, it's the state of sin, but because of it, Romans 5 says that there was a second man named Adam, that by one man, uh, the, the, the Adam, many became sinners. But because of the other man, Christ Jesus, many are going to be made righteous. So what he does is the Holy Spirit convicts the world, because guess what? Everyone in this room, at one time or another, we were the world. Because nobody's born a Christian. We might think that we are, but nobody was born a Christian. And if that's the case, then uh, we're very deceived because I was one of those. I was, believe it or not, an altar boy. I wore the little white robe. I rang the bell and, and got on my knees and, and I did all of that. And guess what? I didn't know God. I was still of the world. Yeah, I rang the bell. That was me. And a lot of us, we're, we're sinners. And so we understand the fact of sin is because I'm a sinner. The, the gospel says that because we're all sinners, there has, we, we're pronounced guilty. We're guilty. Uh, we're convicts. We're convicted of what? Of the guilt and shame that's upon us. I don't even have to do anything and sin's already upon me before Christ. So he convicts the world of sin says, look, you are a sinner. You, we are the reason that Jesus Christ died on that cross. Because of us, because of our actions, he said, I will take their guilt and shame and I'll put it upon myself. He's going to convince the world of that. Of being a sinner. Of be, being a sinner and he makes us saint. A saint and also the consequences of sin. Consequences of sin primarily is death. Now, this is the great conviction. I'm guilty. You're guilty. What are we guilty of? Before Christ, before Christ, we're guilty of what? Manslaughter. Manslaughter. Did we mean to kill Jesus? No, I didn't ask to kill Jesus. I, I really am trying to be a good person. I didn't want to put that innocent man on a cross. But guess what? He took your shame because of your sin. That's manslaughter. You are guilty. The judge slams the gavel. Guess what? Eternal damnation for you. But Jesus says, wait though. I died on a cross, and that blood that was shed, it'll be uh, clothed upon them, and that's what's called imputed righteousness. He puts his righteousness on you now. He puts that garment, that white garment, and guess what? They're no longer guilty. Case dismissed. That's the truth of Scripture. That's why we're grateful, because of that mercy. I don't deserve it. I, again, am a, a wretch. Now, the world doesn't comprehend it. And might I say, many people who sit behind chairs on Sundays, they don't understand it yet. They don't understand it yet. And I know that that's like something harsh that someone might say, well, who gives an individual to talk like that? It is the truth. If it's not, why do they continue in their folly and foolishness? Why? Why? Why does a person continue in their uh, drunken stupors? Or why do they continue in their lives uh, that are ungodly? Why? Why? Oh, they can say till they're blue in the face, I know Jesus and I know the Bible. Yeah, but Jesus doesn't know you. His righteousness probably hasn't been imputed on you. Now, I'm not going up to the final conviction. That belongs to God. But when we look at the Bible and we look at the fruit of individuals, we can get a good understanding of where they're at. Because when we understand that we are guilty, we are sinners, then we follow God. And if we understand what He did for us, that heart of gratitude, that heart of gratitude sings as we did, may I never lose the wonder of your mercy, God. Right? May I always sing hallelujah. May my life always be demonstrating praise God because of what you did for me. So any, any given individual will never truly believe and lay at the feet of the risen king until they're convinced of this matter. 
something that I've pondered a lot. If a person truly doesn't understand the truth about sin, then how can we understand the truth about hell? How can we understand the truth about his righteousness and what he did for us on the cross unless I understand the bad news? Everybody before Christ is a sinner. And that's something that needs to be shouted from the mountaintops so that people can grab a hold of it and understand it. But he said, me, the Holy Spirit, that is what I'm going to do, number one. Convince the world of sin. Convict them is a more proper word. You're guilty. Slam the gavel. Number two, convincing the world of righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father and you don't see me no more. Well, of course, it makes sense. How can Jesus say, I went to the Father, but you still see me? And if we do still see him, the fact is that we see him, then he hasn't gone to the Father. How could he send the Holy Spirit? Now, we see him through the form of the Holy Spirit. We don't physically see him, but we see the effects of him. As Jesus said, the, the Spirit of God is like the wind. Uh, we don't know where it's coming from or where it goes, but we see the effects of it. We see the effects of God's Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily see the Holy Spirit. I don't see the Holy Spirit in you, but guess what? I do see the effects of that Holy Spirit because that individual is not the wretch that they used to be. They don't uh, engage in the things that they used to engage in. This righteousness is a, it's integrity. It speaks of integrity. It speaks of virtue. It speaks of a purity of life of rightness. It's a correct way of thinking and feeling and acting. Now, just like there's a worldly sorrow, there is also a worldly righteousness. The Bible would simply call it self-righteousness. It's what the Pharisees were. It's what a lot of people are today. Because they're not righteous because of Christ. They're righteous because themselves. I'm a good person. Now we know that the Bible clearly says on three different instances, there's no, not one who does good. There's not a single one who's righteous, but God alone. We're righteous again because of who he is. And remember last week, he said, because I am, you are. Because I'm an overcomer, you're an overcomer. And we're righteous because he died, he resurrected, and he went back to the Father, just as he said. And when he did that, he sent us the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us. It convinces us to believe, yes, you're a sinner, you need God. I mean, can you imagine somebody going to the doctor, and the doctor saying, you, you, you have stage 4 cancer, my suggestion to you is you need to get radiology immediately. And in the meantime, just in case, go ahead and start settling everything that you need to take care of just in case. Would it be foolish for a person to say, no, I don't have cancer. I'm not going to believe that. As a matter of fact, there is some. Those are called self-righteous Christians. I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to believe that. Okay, if that's what you want, but you're in for a big disappointment. Because should the worst happen, guess what? A lot of people are going to be made to stumble. Now, I'm not saying that God cannot heal. God can heal. Uh, God many times does heal. Can we ask God? Yes, but to simply just say, I don't, I don't receive it. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. How come that didn't work for the Apostle Paul, who probably had more biblical understanding than all of us when he had a thorn in the flesh? Why didn't Paul just say, yeah, I don't receive that. I reject it in the name of Jesus. No, but what did he do? He inquired. He asked of the Lord three different times. And the response that he got with was, my grace is sufficient for you. So nobody's going to, but what are they going to do? They're going to take precaution. Oh, man, I have cancer. I need to take care of this. I need to go to another doctor to see if he can help me. Yes, many times a second opinion. But when we're convinced of the guilt and the shame that we have, then we get convinced of his righteousness because he is, we are. And then there is to convince the world of judgment. Judgment of what? Concerning justice and injustice. Judgment concerning right or wrong. Ultimately, it's eternal damnation. The consequence. This is the judgment. You want uh, to stay in a sinful state or do you want to be in a righteous state? Should you reject it? Guess what? There's coming a judgment. 
That's fine. The choice is up to you, any individual. I've had people tell me I'm not ready for God. That's fine. But understand one thing. There is a judgment. Everybody is going to pay it. The choice is ours. Do we want to believe in God or do we want to believe in ourselves? And we leave it at the table and they follow from there. He said, because the ruler of this world is judged. He's already, he's already condemned. He's already damned. The devil, he's already damned. Now we can add in there, anybody who's not in Christ. Not, there's only two camps. Not, there's not an iffy. There's not a in the middle. There's not one that's maybe like a um, little constipated, but if I push a little harder, I could, boom, I'm saved. No. There's a clear distinction. There is a line. They're saved and there's unsaved. And if we're not in Christ and we're not saved, guess what? Jesus would say, you are of your father, the devil. And because the devil's judged, the ruler of this world, guess what? We are in that same judgment. That's where we're at. This is the crisis of conviction. There is a crisis. There is a desperate need. There is a time of danger right now because there is no conviction. Because see, as men and women, we have something called free will of God that we don't allow that conviction to come no more. I don't can't explain necessarily how it all works, but I know one thing is that the Bible would say that when we continue in certain ways, our conscience, okay, our conscience, our way of thinking, it becomes seared as with a hot iron. It's sealed. It's shut. That's how serial killers can do what they do and be so gruesome and they don't even bat an eye about it. It doesn't bother me to hear a woman crying for her life, screaming out the name of her children or for her husband, but it doesn't bother me to hear the sound of the slicing of her throat. I know that it's graphic, but their conscience is seared. It doesn't bother them no more. That's why a person, an individual who's committing adultery, it doesn't bother them anymore. Why? Because their conscience is seared. I have no feeling to it. I'm numb to it. That's what happens to us with sin. In that state of sin, we constantly reject God. We reject the convincing or the uh, convicting of God or the admonition or the warning. And a lot of times, guess what? It's through people of God. The Holy Spirit who's inside of us speaks to individuals. Look, brother, sister, you, you might want to consider this. You might not want to do that. You might want to make uh, this situation uh, change it. You might want to get right with God. You might want to question the people that you're hanging out with. You might want to do this. And that's the Holy Spirit of God trying to convince you and convict you. But the truth is, is that because people aren't taking it serious anymore, there's no conviction going on. But it's nothing but simply, it's, we're going to feel good. We're going to have a good time. Why? All our friends are here. They're playing good uh, 80s music and the atmosphere is good, but the meat, the food's not really good. I read of a, a woman in Europe who is actually a practicing Jewish. She's a, she's a practicing Jew, but she wrote an article and it kind of blew me away. And the article that she wrote had to do with modern Christianity. And I don't have the whole article read, but one thing that she said stuck to me because her being a Jew, she recognized the problem in Christianity. She recognized the authenticity that there used to be in Christianity and there's not no more. And she said that uh, modern Christianity has replaced the doctrine of original sin with the doctrine of original innocence. In other words, you're, you're not a sinner. You guys are good. I know you have right intentions. You're okay. You were born like that. The affection that you have for the same gender, you were, you were born like that. Or the affection that you have to, for other women, it, it's okay. God understands those things. It's okay. That's replacing the doctrine of original sin for the doctrine of innocence. Because the truth is we're sinners. From the very smallest, it's not even crawling yet. Those little guys, those little girls, they're sinners. They are sinners. And given the opportunity, they're going to want to have their way. You may not see it as much when they're little, but as they start growing, you, you start to see the sinful state of an individual. That's why the Bible says no man is excused. Every person. I can't be saved because my parents were saved. Uh, it doesn't work like that. God's not a grandfather to no one. 
but he is a father to those who believe upon him. But we have to take these things serious. The thing of conviction, of admonishment, because see, all of these things that Jesus told them, he wasn't trying to hurt them. He wasn't trying to be ugly. He wasn't trying to be harsh and slam the pulpit and say, look, guys, you, you guys need to listen. He was doing it for their own good so that they wouldn't fall away. They wouldn't fall out from underneath this grace. Stay close to me because this is going to happen to you, apostles. For us, things are going to happen. You're going to go through hell. You're going to happen. It's promised. Thessalonians says it. Jesus said it. You're going to go through problems, whether it's with, uh, again, our dear beloved kids or our parents. Sicknesses are going to come at one time or another. Difficult situations, layoffs are going to come. Financial statuses are going to go down. Uh, a loss of a vehicle, whatever it is. We're going to go through it at one time or another. It may not be today. And some people are going to go through it more than others. That's up to God, whatever He decides. But we need to be prepared for when that time comes so that we can stand, so that we can say, I know who I believed in. And there's not a formula with God because yes, we say read the Bible. Yes, we say sit still before God. Yes, we say pray to God. There's not a formula that you can say, I got it all figured out. All I got to do is sit and read the Bible and God takes it all away. Or all I have to do is just sit in his presence. Or all I have to do is turn on worship. The, the truth is, is that every battle is different and every battle is fought differently. So yes, we need to read our Bible. Yes, we need to be people of prayer. Yes, we need to be people who sit before God. And yes, we need to use our praise as a weapon. Sometimes one more than the other. But we need to be led by what? The Holy Spirit who does what? He teaches us and guides us in all things. Go this way. Stay away from those people. They're not building you up. They're tearing you down. Stay away from them. That's what's going on. Take these things serious. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. This is the conviction of judgment. Okay, we know John 3.16, the most popular. God so loved the world. John uh, 18 through 21 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. You're already damned to hell when you don't believe. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their evil deeds were exposed. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Due to a lack of conviction, due to a lack of being convinced, because of suppression, that's Romans chapter 1, they suppressed uh, the reality and the truth of God and they exchanged it, they blessed the creation rather than the creator. Due to a lack of being convinced or convicted, there has become a crisis. It's a trouble, it's a distress. As a matter of fact, the Greek word that he used here for the judgment, it is the Greek word krisis, where we get the word for crisis. There is a crisis in modern Christianity today. But when the Holy Spirit comes and he resides in us, the spirit of truth, he's going to do these things. He's going to guide by way of being a teacher. He's going to glorify God, not anyone else, and he will make more of God rather than himself. He's going to testify of the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't even testify of himself. Those three, three things he's going to do in a believer. Are we glorifying God today? Is he leading us and is he guiding us? Yeah, sometimes we go off, we're prone to wander, we go down a wrong path, but we get right back on it. And the work of the Holy Spirit is in us, from him to us, and through us, from us to other people. We convince them. Now, this is where we want to side note in there. I'm not going to be overbearing. I'm not going to be ugly with people. I'm not just going to just shove the gospel down their throat. I'm, I'm not going to be vicious whether I agree with their doctrine or not, Catholic or, or Muslim or whatever else it is there, whether it's a, a person uh, from, from uh, LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter, it doesn't matter. I'm going to sit and I'm going to have a, a decent conversation. Why? Because I'm led by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit shows me how to act right. And I'm going to have a serious conversation, but I'm going to try to convince them. I'm going to warn them and admonish them. At the end, hopefully they come to repentance and come to God. If they don't, that's between them. 
Let them suppress, but I don't want to do the suppressing. But there's a lack of uh, conviction right now. People are not being convicted. Or they say, I was convicted. But guess what? If you were convicted, then why are you still continuing what you were doing? Just like if I said, yeah, I was convicted of robbing a bank. Well, if you were convicted, how come you're not in the penitentiary right now? Not going to happen. When you're convicted, there's going to be a consequence. And when we're convicted of these things, convicted of sin, we're going to turn from sin because we're going to turn to Christ. And it's an automatic uh, result of what happens. Now, I mentioned this morning, we're not freed from sin completely, but we're freed from the power of sin. It has no more control over you over me, whether it's anger or unforgiveness or whatever it is. And he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. I've got a lot to tell you, but you, you wouldn't be able to stand. And I would say that today, the Holy Spirit of God has a lot to say, but the majority of the modern church is not able to bear it. Why? Because God's just their homeboy. He's not their savior. He's not the risen king. He's not the, the glorified uh, son of God who sits on high. There's no reverence. There's no conviction. There's no convincing. So it just, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. So when you do tell them the truth of scripture, when you do give them these warnings that Jesus said, look, I, I told you these things, not so that you could be filled with sorrow, but so that you can stand when, when uh, the, the righteous man or woman of God shares that, guess what? There's anger. There's, uh, I'm, we're out of here. We're going to split the scene. We'll go somewhere else. That's okay. Because the heart of that individual brought conviction through the Holy Spirit. Now let God deal with them as he may. We bear them. We can. Why? We have the Holy Spirit. So, question this morning. Are you able to bear the difficult truths of God? Where you're at in your life right now? Can you bear them? God's still speaking. He's declaring. He's teaching. He's preaching those many things through righteous men and women of God. Again, are you able to bear it? All of this distress because he told them these important critical things. Same way parents, we tell our kids, hey, Take life serious. There's going to come a point where you're going to fly the coop. You need to pay bills. You need to work. Why do we tell them those things? I know that they get rubbed the wrong way. Ah, yeah, I know. You've already told me that. Do we stop reminding them? No, why? Because we care. We don't want to see them in that situation. It's the same thing that Jesus does through us, and he does it through a righteous preacher. Look, these things I have said to you that you would not fall away. He didn't want to harm them. He loved them and he wanted to care for them. This is the convicting crisis. There's a time now where we need to be convincing people. We need to be bringing conviction through the power of God's word, through the infilling and the guiding of his Holy Spirit. That means our dear loved ones, our mothers, our fathers, it doesn't mean every time we see him, we just got to beat him down with it, but sit down and have one important conversation with them. Just one, one important conversation. Look, do you know what you're practicing in life right now? That's not in the order of God. And if you're not right with God, do you realize the consequences of what's going to happen? Now, you have a choice to make that different. You can trust in what Jesus did and trusting is not just saying it, but it's believing it in your heart and there's going to be a transformation. The choice is up to yours. I would encourage you, please do that today. Finish it off with a prayer and walk away. You don't ever have to bring it up again. Your daughters, your sons, your mom, your dad, you don't have to bring it up. Why? You've deposited it in there. Now let the Holy Spirit of God make a conviction. Oh, maybe once in a while. Hey, have you considered what we talked about? And leave it at that. You want to go out to eat? Yeah. You can talk about something else. Talk about the game. Let God work on them. But there's a crisis and we need to address that crisis. We need to start taking things serious. And for those of us that do, we need to relay that message that it's time to take things serious. Why? Because there is a king that's coming back and he's coming back in judgment. When he comes back, 
it's too late. It's going to be too late. Grace will have expired. Have you ever thought about that? There's an expiration date to grace. It will have expired by that time. So the choice is ours. Uh, we allow the Holy Spirit through us to convict, to convince as we follow God. So we don't be swallowed up in sorrow, but that we be strengthened because he told us these things. And because of that, we tell that to others. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Yes, God, even the difficult truths of your word, even the warnings and the admonitions, God, we remain thankful. Thankful that you would care for us and love us so much that you would give us this word. Now, God, I know that what we read, it was it was specifically told to the apostles, but God, it also applies to us when we go through situations, God. Father, may it be the desire of our heart that you would invade us, that you would transform us, that you would convince us, that you would convict us, Lord, first of all, of sin, of sin, that we are guilty and that you took our shame. And God, when we look to you, as Moses rose up the serpent in the wilderness, those who looked upon that serpent, they were saved. They didn't die. God, that we would look to you at the cross, that we would look at the resurrection, that we would trust in it and believe in it, knowing that, yes, God, we're going to taste of the first death. But God, of the second death, we will be saved from it. May we be convinced of your righteousness, not self-righteousness, God, not the righteousness in and of ourselves, but simply because I am good, because he is good, because he has clothed me with his righteousness. Let that be the cry of our hearts, God, and let it be the desire of our hearts, God, to tell the world of the judgment that is to come, the separation. But God, how can we separate? How can we talk about that separation if we can't even separate, separate ourselves from the light or the darkness? Help us to walk in the light, Lord, and wherever we walk, that it would expose the evil deeds of darkness, whether it's in our government, whether it is in our homes or in our schools. Help us to walk proudly, knowing that you have a hedge of protection around us, God, a hedge that no matter what happens to us, it's all in your control. And all we have to do is trust you, knowing that should the worst come, Lord, we will still be standing before your presence. Father, for that, we thank you, God. Make us more aware of this. Lord, may there be a greater, greater uh, conviction in every single church builder, in every single heart, uh, especially those who call themselves of the peculiar people of God. May this be the message that resonates from pulpits, God, so that revival can come forth, so that nobody can escape. So even if they wanted to run, I'll run to the next church. But guess what? They're preaching the same thing. I can't hide. I can't run from it. Lest they be found in eternal damnation and there's not a chance for them, God. Father, we look to you and we trust in you, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.